Are you alarmed about the state of the world? God is not. He's never taken by surprise. Even as the world will become more complex during the time that Jesus referred to in Matthew 24, 8 as the beginning of sorrows, the sure promise to every believer is fear not. And why? Because all things are subject to God's sovereignty. To put it in simple terms, God's got everything under control. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. A recent headline quoted Pope Francis saying, evil seems to reign supreme in today's world. The Pope said, we can't tolerate or turn a blind eye to racism and yet claim to defend the sacredness of every human life. At the same time, he said, violence is self-destructive and self-defeating. Nothing is gained by violence and so much is lost. My question is, does evil reign supreme in this world? Is evil the sovereign of this world? No, God is the sovereign in this world. A sovereign is a ruler, a king, a lord. And scripture often refers to God as the one who rules over this world as well as the universe. God's most common proper name is called the Tetragrammaton. In Hebrew, yud Hey vav Hey, I am who I am, as revealed to us in Exodus 3.14. For fear of mispronouncing God's name, the four Hebrew letters, the Tetragrammaton, is regularly translated as Lord in capital letters in the English Bible. And Lord is found over 7,000 times as a name of God and specifically as a name of Jesus the Messiah in the Bible. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, Americans don't quite understand the concept of sovereignty as well as say somebody from the United Kingdom does. Americans don't live under a sovereign ruler. And although Britain's government today is called a constitutional monarchy, 
Nevertheless, the British have a better concept of sovereignty and of a sovereign ruler. And God Almighty is a sovereign who exercises complete control, whether we can see it or not. In the kingdom of God, nobody is an elected official. God reigns supreme, not evil, in the kingdom of God. And when the Lord Jesus himself returns to earth at his second coming, he will rule the world by divine right to sovereignty. Isaiah 34, 8 speaks prophetically of our time, how the Lord is angry with the nations concerning the controversy over Zion, the hostility of nations against Zion and against the Lord's own cause in restoring his ancient Jewish people. The current controversy is over land rights, so-called annexation of biblical territories that God gave by covenant and by deed to Jacob and his descendants. And who was Jacob? The patriarch Jacob was renamed by God to Israel, and it is to Israel's descendants that God gave the Holy Land. Sovereignty is not the same thing as annexation. Sovereignty means supreme power or authority. Supreme and independent power or authority in government as possessed by a state or community. Whereas to annex means to add new territory into the domain of a city, a country, or a state. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu understands the difference. And that's why he speaks of exercising Israel's sovereignty over biblical Judea and Samaria in the Jordan Valley. But the media often misquotes Netanyahu as speaking of annexation of these territories in the biblical heartland where Israel has huge cities and settlements already. But Netanyahu speaks instead of exercising Israel's sovereignty over these lands that are part of the biblical land of Israel. To speak of annexation would be to suggest that Israel is seizing land that historically belongs to others in order to enlarge the state of Israel. Instead, the Prime Minister claims that Biblical Judea and Samaria in the Jordan Valley are Israel's lawful territories, belonging historically to the land of Israel, the land of the Bible. Meanwhile, the United States, under President Trump, has pledged to recognize Israeli sovereignty. The difference between sovereignty and annexation is not just a question of semantics, but of two quite different actions. Journalists who insist on using the word annexation make Israel an occupier of someone else's land, acquired through aggression. Such a narrative tells the world that Israel is a thief, which is not the case. It's true that Israel kept the official status of Judea and Samaria vague from 1967 because they were naively hoping to negotiate some land for peace. But Bible-believing Israelis, in truth, always see these territories as belonging to nobody but Israel. Now, the term annexation is a misnomer because it commonly denotes the forcible taking of someone else's territory. Israel already held a legitimate historic right and claim to Judea and Samaria. Even before Israel came into possession of these areas in self-defense in the Six-Day War in 1967, the question now facing Israel is whether to assert its sovereign title to certain of these territories by simply extending its laws there.
The only thing missing is for Israel now to declare these territories under Israeli control and to apply civilian law. In short, all that's needed is the declaration for Israel to say, these are our historic territories. The fact that the Trump administration has agreed to Israeli sovereignty underscores a point the media has failed to absorb, that Israel has never engaged in an illegal occupation and Israel has a right to its biblical land. So sovereignty implies ownership, whereas annexation implies thievery. The way I read Bible prophecy, sovereignty has to be applied over the biblical heartland of Judea, Samaria, and the Jordan Valley, because Israel must be living in relative security and possessing strategic depth for security. That's the implication in Ezekiel 38.11, that in the last days, Israel will be living securely when they are invaded by enemies to take a spoil. But the enemies are soundly and supernaturally defeated. The Ezekiel War prophesied in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 will likely result in building the third temple because in that war, God vows to defeat Israel's enemies. And from that day forward, a great national revival will begin in Israel. The people will return to God the Father, and this will be followed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. After God intervenes supernaturally and defeats a confederation of invaders, including nations to the north of Israel and Persia, modern-day Iran, Here's what Ezekiel chapter 39 prophesies, starting with verse 22. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that the Lord is their God. Therefore, this is what the Lord their God says. Now I'm restoring Jacob, the Jewish people, from captivity and will have compassion on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name when they dwell securely in their land with no one to frighten them, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from out of all of the nations, I will show my holiness in them in the sight of the nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. When? When I regather them to their own land, he says, after their exile amongst the nations. And he promises, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Well, what a powerful, powerful chapter in world history that will be when God supernaturally intervenes to save the nation of Israel and when he pours out once again his spirit upon the house of Israel. And Zechariah 12.10 also prophesies this saying, I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplications. That means pleas and prayers for mercy, so that when they, the Israelis, look on me, whom they have pierced, God says, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. That's speaking of Jesus, Yeshua, Selah. Let's take a Selah moment because it's going to happen, people. 
This word of God cannot be broken and every word of our supreme sovereign will come to pass. Meanwhile, conservative evangelicals who know Bible prophecy clearly see Jewish settlement in Judea and Samaria as the fulfillment of many Bible prophecies. It's just not rocket science to those who believe in the authority of the sovereign. For example, Jeremiah 30 verse 3 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. Also, over in Jeremiah 33 and verse 7, it's written, God says, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and they will rebuild as they were before. Well, many Bible-believing Christians clearly see that the prophets promised the children of Israel would return to the mountains of Israel and rebuild Jewish cities and Jewish towns. And it's already happening. It's ongoing. That's how late, in fact, it is on the Bible prophecy timeline. Because already about 400,000 Israeli Jews are living in the biblical heartland in Judea and Samaria, even before Israel exercises its lawful sovereignty. The Jewish people's claim to the historic land of Israel was recognized by the international community at the San Remo Conference in 1920 and in the League of Nations Mandate Decisions in 1922. That was not the granting of a new right to the land, but recognition of the Jewish people's historic pre-existing claim as an indigenous people seeking to reconstitute their national sovereignty in their ancient homeland. Nothing since has abrogated or voided Israel's right to sovereignty over the biblical land of Israel, including those areas now commonly referred to as the West Bank. But remember, the New Testament calls the Holy Land, Judea, Samaria, and the land of Israel. The Bible doesn't use terms imposed later, such as Palestine and the West Bank. There's been some disagreement amongst Christians as to when Israeli sovereignty over the Holy Land should be exercised. As the, there's disagreement amongst the Jews as well. Some say applying sovereignty must happen only when the Messiah returns, but others disagree. One thing we can say for sure without any speculation is that the God of Israel will be sovereign in the timing of Israeli sovereignty. As I see Bible prophecy, Judea and Samaria are likely to be part of Israel for the Ezekiel War of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 to come to pass, and then the third temple can easily be rebuilt. My point is that Israel must recover all of her territory sooner rather than later, while also extending justice to Arabs who want to cooperate and live peaceably and enjoy the benefits of living under the protection of Israeli sovereignty. And many do want to do just that. They may not say so on Facebook, but others will tell you privately. Others are saying so on social media. So it's fascinating to watch that increasingly Arab nations surrounding Israel are saying that the Jewish state must be accepted as a fact of the neighborhood and cooperated with. But not all Christians are able to see and grasp the prophetic moment 
because many are just imbibing of the news media. For example, recently the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster sent a joint statement to the Israeli ambassador and the British Prime Minister expressing their opposition to any move by Israel's government, as they put it, to annex so-called West Bank territory. They use the word annex, but sovereignty is the biblical issue. The letters by the churchmen followed the recent warning from church leaders in the Holy Land that Israel's proposed annexation of West Bank territory, as they expressed it, would bring about the loss of any remaining hope for the success of the peace process. But should that peace process stalemate even be continued? How do we as Bible believers view all of this biblical controversy over Zion? For ongoing prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, as Psalm 122 verse 6 commands us to pray. First of all, we know that ultimately only the return of the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Messiah, will establish true and lasting peace. Tragically, the Antichrist will deceptively engineer a peace treaty, but it will be false, very deceptive, and only temporary, as the prophet Daniel warned in advance in Daniel 9.27. Secondly, I think we can safely say that sovereignty over territory ultimately belongs to the sovereignty of God. He will decide all of these issues. He will overrule and determine the timing and every detail. The subject of the sovereignty of God is just infinitely fascinating to me. A godly woman who was very influential in my life, when I asked her what was her favorite Bible doctrine, she answered, the sovereignty of God. Yes, our God is sovereign in history, in nations, but also in families in the lives of individuals. This is because of his nature as a covenant keeper and one who watches over the lives of believers. Sometimes a person is blessed because God has sovereignly taken into account the prayers and lives of their parents or grandparents or other relatives. As I look back over the four decades of my ministry, I've had many godly ambitions and desires. I've knocked on many doors but the Lord has been sovereign in my life over which doors I should go through. And I'm so grateful for his sovereign leadership. Things that I have wanted might not have been best. He's overruled many things and his guidance has been perfect. He's been sovereign in my upbringing, in my schooling, in my choice of my life partner, my wonderful husband. God has been sovereign in the places where we have lived, where he has sent us to preach the gospel. He's been sovereign in the lives of our sons and in the persons whom our sons have married and so on and so on. He is also the sovereign God of surprises. He comes through for us. He wants to be our dwelling place, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, as Acts 17.28 puts it. If you were to look up the word sovereign in the dictionary, you'd find words and phrases such as ruler, supreme in power and authority, because there's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe outside of God's influence and authority. In fact, 
Sovereignty is an attribute of God based upon his supreme authority and all things are under his control as creator, owner, and possessor of heaven and earth. The Protestant stream defines sovereignty in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which states that God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. The Catholic position is similar, maintaining God's absolute lordship over history and the world. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. There's just no limit to his knowledge, for God knows everything completely before it even happens. Nothing is too difficult for him, and he orchestrates and determines everything that's going to happen in your life, in my life, in Israel, in the United Kingdom, in America, throughout the whole world. He doesn't override free choice, but we can trust him and not be concerned about the future. A beautiful verse is Jeremiah 32, 17, which declares, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. He has power and authority over nature, over rulers, over history, over angels and demons. Satan himself must ask God's permission before he can act. So in these often dark and testing times, how well it is to remember that God is on his throne. His throne cannot be shaken and he will not fail in doing everything he's spoken and promised in this book. It's just wonderful and relaxing to realize that God has access to the hearts of all persons and he's able to soften or harden hearts according to his sovereign purpose in nations. Think, for example, of the profane Bible character Esau, who swore vengeance upon his brother Jacob. Yet, when he met Jacob again, instead of killing him, Esau fell on Jacob's neck and kissed him. Consider Ahab, the weak and wicked king of Israel, married to that notorious Jezebel. He was highly enraged against Elijah the prophet. Yet, when they met, Instead of killing the prophet, Ahab meekly obeyed Elijah's orders to gather together all the prophets at Mount Carmel for a showdown between God and the wicked prophets of Baal. Again, Esther, the hidden Jewish queen in the book of Esther, in the Hebrew scriptures, she illegally entered the presence chamber of the monarch. So she went expecting to perish because of her chutzpah. But instead, we're told that she obtained favor in the king's sight, and he held out to Esther his golden scepter. The boy Daniel was a Jewish captive in a foreign court in Babylon. The king appointed a daily provision of meat and drink for Daniel and his friends. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's unkosher provisions. And so even though defying the king brought fearful consequences normally, we read how instead God brought Daniel into favor. So what do these scriptures teach? That the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. 
The good news is that the Bible promises that Israel and every believer will be given a new heart and a new spirit. That's what the Bible means to be born again. God promised Israel in Ezekiel 36 a new covenant. He said, a new heart and a new spirit I'm going to give you. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, what? You are the teacher in Israel and you don't know the scriptures that a person must be born again? When we return to God, when we believe in the Savior, we are born again by the spirit of the living God. This means we'll have new thoughts, new ambitions, new aspirations, and new desires. Our lives will not instantly change, but we will daily be transformed by the indwelling and teaching of the Holy Spirit and the renewing of our minds. I want us to understand the sovereignty of God in history. He is still working out his purposes. Like any story, history has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. The cross of Jesus was in the middle, the hinge of history. The end of the story is yet to be demonstrated with his second coming and thousand-year rule on earth. Therefore, the complete demonstration of the Lord's Messiahship awaits events which haven't yet occurred. It's going to take the second coming of Jesus to give final verification to his messianic claim. The Jews thought in Jesus' day that when God was revealed to the world, everybody would know it. And so at Jesus' trial, the high priest Caiaphas demanded, I adjure you. In other words, he put Jesus under oath. Tell us whether you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answered with the Hebrew scriptures, Henceforth you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. So when he returns, his claim to deity will have a cataclysmic verification to what short-sighted men have failed to see. In the millennium, after the second coming of Jesus, the Jews will be the center of interest once again. They will enjoy their restored kingdom with King Messiah, Jesus, ruling them in the world from Jerusalem. But what about the meantime? While Jesus is in heaven, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's able to wash all sinners clean. He still comes to us with basin, water, and towel, but he cleanses us with his supernatural blood, which was collected at the cross and presented to God by Jesus in heaven after his resurrection. In the ancient Middle East, people were shown hospitality with foot washings because people's feet and sandals were caked with mud and dirt. A servant washed the feet of visitors. So Jesus, the servant king, stooped down and washed the feet of his disciples at his last Seder, his last supper. And he will wash the dirtiest part of our lives if we will allow him. But we can't be cleansed unless we admit we need a bath, that we need to be cleaned up. I like the way J.B. Phillips translates Hebrews 4.15. For we have no superhuman high priest to whom our weaknesses are unintelligible. He, Jesus himself, has shared fully in all of our experience of temptation, except that he never sinned. Amen. So that means he understands our weaknesses because he became fully human, yet was fully God. He knows our heartaches, our pains, our disappointments, 
our sufferings. He's faithfully ever present with us when we give our lives to him and to his service. His timing, though we often question it, is always right. The longer I have lived, the more I've come to believe in the sovereignty of God, especially when it comes to timing. Well, the door of salvation is open and there's still room for you to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. Invite the Savior to guide you through these troublesome times. Then the joy of the Lord will be our strength and we won't worry about gloom and doom. I also want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which continually reports on Bible prophecy and end time events, especially as they relate to the church and to Israel. At our website, exploits.tv, and at our Jerusalem channel, YouTube website, we've uploaded a library of videos available 24-7, and we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine, Exploits. Why do we call it Exploits? Because Daniel 11.32 declares that the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and will carry out exploits, meaning we're going to accomplish the works of the Lord in the remaining time that we have left before the Lord's imminent return. Let's stay in touch by the iPhones and tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel app. And if you have any questions, contact me on social media. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>